Good morning, friends. My name is John. I am one of the ministers here at First Christian Church, and I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday uh, this past week. Uh, So I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving for me, it's not only the beginning of the holiday season, but Thanksgiving is the beginning of like the bulking season, right? Like it is phase one of a three-phase bulk, okay? So we used to call it holiday weight, but I think that gives the connotation that it's a negative thing. We got cold days ahead. This is a very important thing that we got going on, okay? So Thanksgiving is phase one, Christmas and New Year's phases two and three. Let's get geared up for it and be excited about it, okay? It's a good thing. That's right, some of you are clapping because you're you're with me on that. Um, Speaking of Christmas, how great was it to walk in and see all of the decorations up all throughout the building? I wanna say thank you. There were about 100 people who came out uh, this week to help get the building ready for us. Uh, Special shout out to Elsa Hurtado, who led our teams, uh, just wonderfully had a plan and uh, produced something really beautiful. Um, Speaking of Christmas, I do want to just remind us, there is no better season on the calendar to invite one of your friends to church than at the Christmas season. So if you've been having somebody that you've been thinking about inviting to church uh, this year and you have failed for 11 months, this last month is an awesome opportunity for redemption, okay? Um, we've got something, it's a little tool that we can help you do that with. We got some Christmas invitation cards that you can give out. I encourage you to grab one of those on your way out. If you have a hard time finding them, just find somebody in a welcome shirt or a tag and they will get them for you. Uh, We'd love for you to just spread those out all throughout the community and get people here on Christmas Eve. We got six services. It's going to be great. Um, Also, something else that we have created for you to prepare for this season is a little Christmas devotional. So starting tomorrow, uh, we have a devotional that has five devotions a week for the next several weeks to help you get into uh, this season. So those devotionals are found exactly where the invitation cards are. So we made that easy for you. Grab one of those. Grab one of those for your friends. It's a great way to get into this season. And the devotional goes along with the sermon series that we are launching today. This series that we are calling Introducing. Uh, So I know you saw the little video before I got up here and had all those beautiful Christmas cards. And when I see the Christmas cards that have families, I can't help but think, man, that photo was taken in between kids crying, uh, being trapped in the prison. That is a photo shoot, right? And and, and parents threatening no Christmas. I don't know, any of you who have done Christmas cards with with young children, if your experience was like mine, my, uh, my daughter, Audrey, she was born in November, which is perfect, right? Because we can do the Christmas card and introduce her to the world with our Christmas card. And so um, my boys were uh, ages five and two, and we decided to get the three of them together for the Christmas card. So Audrey, we're like, we're like propping her up on stuff because, you know, she's like brand new. She has no abs. She cannot hold herself up. And so she's just laying there deadpan face. And, um, and my middle son, he was mad about the whole ordeal. Like he, he was like, this is disgusting. Why are we doing this? And my oldest son, he was mad at my middle son for being mad about the whole ordeal. And so I went from like fun dad who's dancing and making faces and trying to get everybody happy to like in a little while I was like seething rage godfather dad like you're gonna smile and you're gonna like it and you're gonna keep smiling till mom gets the perfect picture right 
we get the card back. And so Audrey's like propped up there, no deadpan face. She's not got abs and she also doesn't have face muscles. So she's just kind of laying there with her pasty in her mouth. And the boy's eyes were like red and glossy from crying. And I was thinking, man, five years in and I'm still terrible at this whole fatherhood thing. But that is so often the situation, right? Uh, and it's often what we do with Christmas cards. We introduce things. We were introducing Audrey. But a lot of times you'll get a Christmas card and people will be like, hey, here's our new dog, Rusty, right? Here's our new house that we bought or moved into uh, this year. Uh, here's our daughter's new husband, something like that. That's what we do. We do introducing things with Christmas cards. But there's something different about this one who was introduced to us long ago. This baby that we celebrate at Christmas. The funny thing about this introducing of Jesus, when we hear the name Jesus today, we may think, oh man, we know that person, right? If we were writing an introduction to Jesus, we may be tempted to start with that familiar introduction. My next guest needs what? No introduction. Because Jesus is just so iconic, right? It's just so familiar. Once you hear the name, you know the reputation the titles, the accomplishments. But here's what we're asking of us all this season. We think Jesus does need an introduction. Whether you have grown up in church or maybe you're just now giving church a chance, we think that so often our ideas of Jesus are shaped by just sort of popular thoughts about him. Or maybe they're just kind of, he's iconic to us because we've heard the name so much. Or maybe we do know all the stories. We've been in church all of our life. Uh, we, we're great at Bible trivia. But we need to step back. We need to remember what it is to first hear of this name and be in awe of it. So what we're going to do with this series is we are going to look at introducing passages of Scripture. Not just introduction passages from the birth stories of Scripture, but passages throughout the Bible where people who knew Jesus the best were introducing him to their peers. We believe that Jesus does need an introduction. So ladies and gentlemen, before our guest arrives on December the 25th, let's spend some time acquainting ourselves with this one, this Jesus who is to come. Today, you've already heard about one of those introductions, right? You heard about Mary earlier in this service. Mary was told she would have a king, that this king would have the throne of David, that this king would have a kingdom that has no end. But that's hard for us to relate to, right? We don't necessarily know what it is to live under kings and queens. We had a king back in the 1700s and we kicked them out, right? We said, no, thank you. You can take your tea time and get out of here. We don't like the idea of kings and queens. We don't like the idea of monarchies. We don't like the idea of people who can tell us what we need to do and when we need to do it. We don't like anyone telling us what we do and when we do it. We are free. And so we buy a boat and boat becomes king. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not a boat lover, but I've heard when boat lovers talk about boats, they buy it and it consumes so much of their time and their energy. Uh, they say that the happiest day of a boat lover's life is the day that they buy the boat. The second happiest is the day that they sell the boat, right? 
I don't know, I'm not a boat lover. I don't know all about that. But I do know about buying things, thinking I am going to own it, only to find out it owns me, right? I've been discovering this over the last few months, actually. When my wife and I moved into the house that we live in right now in Johnson City, we had decided, you know, one day we'd like to build a patio back there for the family to hang out on. And this summer, like we took the plunge. We, we bit the bullet, we pulled the trigger, we started doing it. And man, that thing became consuming. It was all we talked about. We just had to promise our kids last week we would stop talking about the patio, okay? We were, we were thinking about fire pits and we were thinking about furniture and we were thinking about what it could look like and how it could even be better. You would have thought deciding which way to turn the little pavers was like life and death decision. Do we do basket weave or do we do chevron? What's going to happen, right? We were thinking about it and it was just consuming us. And then after the thing is built, you got to wait for it to cure. And then after a few months, you got to clean it just right. And then you got to seal it. And I was doing that myself. I had been checking the weather app, looking for the great window of time where I could get it clean and it could dry. And then I could get out there and seal it. And the time had come. It had consumed us all of these months. And I'm so looking forward to this day where maybe this thing wouldn't consume me anymore. And so I'm out there and I'm spraying the sealer on this patio. And then I start hearing a flock of birds. Have you all noticed like every day around 5 p.m., flocks of birds flying all over Johnson City. And so I was mid-seal on this patio and I start hearing the birds. And as soon as the birds get like right over my yard, I begin to hear like, you know, things dropping out of the air. And I'm like, oh no, it's going to get on the part of the patio that's not sealed and I'm going to seal it in. So as soon as the edge of the flock gets over my backyard, I just look up and go, ah! And it worked. Like they, they split around my yard or they would turn. So every time, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if it was a good thing or a bad thing that this worked because every time a flock started coming over my yard, I would just look at them and go, ah, and they would do their thing, you know, where they would go around. After a few times, my daughter, Audrey, who is now 14, she stuck her head out the door and was like, dad, you okay? And I was like, yeah, it's just these birds. These birds are killing me. I thought I was buying a patio. I didn't realize that the patio would end up owning me and ruling me. Maybe you've bought the boat or the car or built the house or something you thought you were buying, but it ended up owning you. One day, I'm just choosing something I like, and then the other day, it is ruling me. And it's not just material goods, right? We can choose hobbies and habits and relationships, even thought patterns that... We think we're just doing something we like, but it ends up ruling us. One day, I think I'm just being financially responsible. Then I get a little worried that I need to save more. And then I get fearful that I won't have enough. And then I become convinced that I will never have enough. And left to my own ideas, my responsible saving becomes greedy hoarding. Or maybe... One day, I'm just taking a break, scrolling some social media, and then I get a little interested in this one thing, and then I become a little bit obsessed with it and left to my own ideas. My just scrolling uh, social media becomes something that robs me of joy and contentment in my real life. These things that we can choose can become so cruel, right? It can rob us of contentment, of joy, time, and money. And here's the twist. You get ready for this. Here's the twist. 
we make these commitments that start to fill us with anxiety, maybe worry, maybe doubt, maybe anger. And then one day we're looking around saying, why me? Who did this to me? It's like me on the patio yelling at the birds. Why am I in this prison? And then I realize, oh yeah, I did this. I chose it. It was me. The cruel king choosing how I am to live and so often finding me in situations where my time and my energy and my contentment are being robbed from me is us. We might not know a ton about monarchies, about kings and queens, but we know a thing or two about giving loyalty to things that begin to dictate all the areas of our lives and leaving us feeling empty. We are the cruel kings who so often choose these things. And if you can relate to that, then you need to hear about Mary's king. After Mary receives this word that she's going to have this baby, there's this sweet story in the book of Luke chapter 1 where she goes and she visits her cousin Elizabeth. We're told that she stays with Elizabeth for three months. And it's a very, very short passage. But during that stay, Mary writes a song. And I don't know how she got all of these glimpses of what her king was going to be about but they are compelling. And I want to read you a few lines from Mary's song. Luke chapter 1, verses 52 to 54. Listen to what Mary wrote about the coming king. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. The kings of Mary's day were cruel. All she knew about was as they rise to power, people get pressed down. As they ascend in authority, people get beaten into submission. But it would not be so with her king. Her king is full of mercy. Her king fills the hungry. Her king lifts the humble. Now, here's the deal that I want you to hear. In just those three short little verses, there is wrapped within them a message that we need to wrestle with. It's right there in front of us. And we need to hear it today. You see, while this king is merciful and gracious, we also read that when Mary hears about this king, she's a little bit disturbed. When she writes her song, she writes that rulers are removed from their thrones. She writes that the proud are scattered, that the rich go away empty. This king is gracious and merciful, but this king knows that if this king is to take its rule this king will have to remove some powers that are already in place. This king will be disruptive. But I want you to hear this. When Jesus starts getting disruptive, that's good news. It was good news for them, and it is good news for us. Here's why. I want you to hear this. King Jesus wants to disrupt 
our loyalties to powers that press us down and offer us citizenship in his kingdom under the rule of one who pulls us up. He wants to disrupt our loyalties to those that press us down and offer us citizenship under one who pulls us up. Though you and I don't know what it is to live in a land of cruel kings, we know about power that presses us down. Far too often we choose them. We are the cruel kings. And Jesus wants to disrupt those powers to remove the obstacles separating us from the life that he has for us. I want to show you uh, another scripture. It's another scripture uh, that talks about Jesus. It's an introductory type of scripture, but it comes from many years later. After Jesus had been born and lived and died and resurrected, they were still writing about him as one who was king, one who was supreme, and yet one who did not use his power to press down, but used his power to lift up. And the great missionary Paul, when he was introducing Jesus to some people in a church, he wrote a letter It's the letter of Colossians, and it's in chapter 1. And I want you to hear this introduction because it is incredible. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, or rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, and so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to God all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What an incredible introduction. But did you catch all of those awe-inspiring things about Jesus? Did you catch that he was firstborn over all creation, but he also wrote, he is firstborn from among the dead? Meaning he rules both new things and things we thought were dead and over. Did you catch that all things are made through him and for him? So if it's not made through him, then it is not for him. Did you hear that he holds all things together? So that means without him, they fall apart. Or perhaps... Perhaps you needed to hear that because of what King Jesus did on the cross, God has made a way for every single one of us and every single part of us to be reconciled to God. Through King Jesus and what he did on the cross, God has made a way for every single one of us and for every part of us to be reconciled to God. When Jesus gets disruptive in our lives, that's a good thing because he is a sustain things kind of king. He is a hold things together kind of king. He is a reconcile and make peace kind of king. And this is why when Mary heard that she would be having this kind of king, her response was, may it be as you have said. 
May your will come into my life. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I would have responded that way. No, let me change that. I am sure I would not have responded that way because even now, 2,000 years later, when I have all of the stories of Jesus at my fingertips, I know what kind of king he was. I still struggle to say, may it be so. (laughs) I still struggle to say, may your will come in my life. I struggle with this thing that I wanna illustrate for us because here's the deal. I think that all of us, to some extent, struggle with this as well. And so there's a little drawing that I wanna do that I think illustrates the point and I think will help you get uh, what the deal is. I am on a different, mm, nope. Is that the one I needed to do, guys? They said yes. Okay, sorry, we jumped to a different Wi-Fi and I had to fix it real quick. Okay, here is my beautiful drawing. There is, in all of our lives, Does anybody know what that is? A chair, very good. I'm an abstract artist, so you might have to bear with me just a little bit, okay? Uh, There's a seat in all of our lives, right? And whoever sits in that seat sort of runs the show. It dictates all of the different things of our lives. So maybe it is relationships. That's supposed to be a heart. Uh, Maybe it is how we spend our money. Maybe it is how we spend our time, right? And that's just a few examples. There's tons of other affairs in our lives, things going on. So you know what I'll do? I'll put a question mark and just ask you, what is another area? What is another area of your life where you have control, where, you know, Perhaps God could have more control. Whoever sits in that seat in our lives is the one who dictates those affairs, who influences those affairs. And I like being in that seat, right? Of course, if I ask you who sits in that seat, you're like, well, obviously me. But what we've already established is when we sit in that seat, So often, we influence those things in such a way that we fill our lives with anxiety. We rob ourselves of contentment. Um, We so often put ourselves on paths of pain. Maybe it's just that we end up saying, man, is there just something more? Is there something that would lead to a little bit more meaning and purpose and all of this stuff that I got going on in my life? And what Paul writes to those people in Colossians in his, in his uh, letter to them is a resounding yes, there is one. There is one who is supreme over all things. There is one who holds all things together and sustains things. There is one who wants to be in all and over all, through all, and they want all things to be for them. And that is the disruption. Whether we will invite Actually, whether we will first step down from that seat and invite another one to have that place. It's the disruption that Mary saw coming. This is one who removes rulers from their thrones. But to those willing to be humble, he lifts up. 
And so who sits in that seat in your life? We can struggle to give up that seat. And I think we struggle. We struggle not because Jesus' leadership in our life is cruel, not because Jesus is oppressive. We are just used to being there. We are just used to sitting there. It's the pattern we have grown accustomed to. Even if you've been in this faith all your life, we like to crawl back into that seat, right? And we like to choose paths that rob us of joy. And Jesus wants to be disruptive. And that's good news. Jesus wants to disrupt our loyalty, the powers that press us down and offer us citizenship under one who pulls us up. The firstborn over creation wants to create something new in us. The one who holds all things together wants to hold us together. The one who ordered orbits of stars and ocean tides wants to order your life. It can seem a bit threatening, maybe challenging, maybe even overwhelming to say, okay, I wanna do that. How? How do we do that? Let me offer to you a simple prayer that I have started saying in my life. Um, It's very, very easy. It's just the prayer, I need you. Say that with me, ready? I need you. It's an easy prayer. I used to do wordy prayers. I used to explain things to God, right? I I used to tell God like what the situation was and how I wanted it resolved. And then I realized God probably didn't need me to explain. And what God wanted more than anything else was for me to just say, I need you. And so I pray the prayer all the time. I pray it when I wake up. I pray it when I'm driving. I pray it when I'm working. I pray it when I'm playing. I even pray the thing in my shower. And I wonder if that uh, that offends God because it's a little, you know, underdressed. But... I believe that it honors God. I believe that God wants more than anything else to have that seat in our lives. We have the opportunity to give our lives to the author of life. There's one more introduction passage that I wanna read before I wrap things up. It's another passage of scripture that Paul wrote. He was sort of doing an introducing type of passage to some people in a different city, a city called Philippi. So it's in a different letter of his in Philippians chapter two. And the reason that I love this is because we're talking about how can we let Jesus sit in that seat and dictate the affairs of our lives. And what Paul is talking about in this passage is, I want Jesus to dictate how y'all treat each other. And so Paul writes this. Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. The first thing in this passage that I want you to notice is that line that reads, who, speaking of Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. 
I wanna take us back a little bit. I want us to remember the Adam and Eve story, right? Way back at creation, first people, Adam and Eve. I wanna, I know it's familiar to a lot of you, but I wanna remind us of something that was central to that story. We are told that mankind was made in the image of God, but mankind was said, though you are made in the image of God, don't try to become God. Don't try to become God by eating from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan comes along in the story. And how does Satan convince them to eat from that tree? Satan says, oh, you should do it. You should, because if you eat from that tree, your eyes will become opened and you will become more God-like. And they ate. They wanted to grasp at what it was to be like God. And from that moment, they began to live by their own rule rather than God's. And the ones who ascended to the highest in power among people became the cruelest of kings. Because that's what we do when we grasp at being God in our lives. These were the kind of kings that Mary knew. These were the kind of kings that we tend to be when we make choices that press us down, but not Jesus. He was the image of God. He was the very nature of God, but he did not choose to use it to his own advantage, but he used it to become a servant. And that's the second thing I want you to notice. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Jesus wants to sustain and to hold things together and to order our lives. But he does that not by pressing us down, but by lifting us with his mercy and his grace and his wisdom for our lives. That's how he leads. He is a humble king who serves us, not a cruel king that oppresses. And then lastly, notice the effect of his rule. God lifts him up to give him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And my question today is, will we do the same? Will we give him that seat? Will we acknowledge that he is Lord, he is supreme, firstborn over creation, firstborn even over death, firstborn over my life? There is a saying that we like around here. If you've been to First Things First, then you've probably heard it. First Things First is our class where we introduce people to our core values. The saying goes, for God so loves the world and that includes everyone, so that includes you. Thinking about this king that we've been introduced to today, you could kind of rewrite it a little bit and say, for God so rules the world. And that includes every nation. So that includes you. This is a disruptive message about our King Jesus. But when Jesus starts getting disruptive, it is good news. He reconciles us to God. He takes the form of a servant and offers to us mercy and grace and wisdom. So my question is, will we like Mary say, may it be so? Will you commit this season to just becoming reacquainted with this king? We've given you a tool. Grab one of those Christmas devotionals on your way out today because every morning, 
every morning for the next few weeks, you can bow your knee, you can humble yourself, you can open the pages and you can immerse yourself in knowledge of this gracious, merciful King who wants to have the throne in your life. Will we give Jesus his rightful place? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your rule that is full of mercy, that is full of grace, that is full of wisdom, and yet still we find disrupting. Give us the wisdom to step down from our own little thrones and acknowledge that there is only one who sits on the throne, and that is King Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.